Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time. But the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome to the Bird Rights. My name is Preston Ellis, and I'm the host for the new home to all things Pelicans on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Follow us at the Bird Rights and get all the latest on your Pelicans at thebirdrights.com. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to the Bird Calls Podcast. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and we are bringing you another two-parter today. First up, a recap of the Pels' thrilling and at some points frustrating victory against the Atlanta Hawks last night, coupled with a game preview of Wednesday night's rematch with the Toronto Raptors. Travis and Trevor on the first half, myself, Ali, and Chris McKee of SB Nation in the preview. Let's do this! And welcome, Pelicans fans and fans of the Big Picture Boys, fans of um hi this is scott trout ceo of the domestic litigation firm cordell and cordell there are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree the orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change if you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. A nice kind of come-from-behind win tonight against the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, I'm Travis Tate. Uh, Trevor Ritchie, as always, joining me. Uh, Trevor, you didn't get to see a whole lot of the game, but what are your what, uh, what do you take away from it? First of all, Travis, I was thinking before before uh, we even got on the podcast together to record, why do we limit ourselves to the big picture? Why aren't we the bigger picture? Hmm. You know, oh. like there's a, there's always the big picture, but sometimes you have to look past that. And uh, Just a thought, wow. just a thought. Uh, I know I it's a little it. early for that, but uh, I, I mean, it's not as awful as it as it looks and you may think if you look back uh to the hawks i think last five games they actually beat the cavaliers by two um the celtics that are on i think a 12 game winning streak only beat them by three uh the pistons who have been playing great only beat them by like six or seven maybe so it's not an awful uh, awful win uh it's not as bad of a performance as you would think obviously early in the game uh, there was sloppy play, too many turnovers. DeMarcus Cousins with another seven turnover night, I believe. Um, they, the Hawks played hard. They found a way to get two or three people 
on our uh, on the Pelicans bigs in the paint, and they kind of shut that down. That kind of contributed to why, uh, as far as I mean, their small ball, why Demarcus couldn't play down the stretch, and I thought that was a smart decision by Alvin Gentry, and we'll pro- probably break that down more. But uh, a shout out to Etwan Moore. I know you're going to get some loving on him tonight. Twenty four points, and uh, shout out to Darius Miller. Twenty one minutes and twenty one points. What did you think, Travis? Yeah, uh, you've mentioned a number of things. Uh, I think maybe the uh, hot take headline would be that, you know, both you and I agree that uh, DeMarcus did, you know, did deserve to come out of the game and, and it was the right thing to do to go with um, Miller and Etwan Moore um, kind of leading the way in terms of making shots and basically winning them a game tonight. Um, they won by one. Let's see, what was the final? 106, 105, I think. Um, Drew hit a huge shot uh, near the end of the game with about a minute and a half to go. I mean, a number of number of guys made plays. Etwan Moore had like, I don't know, one of his best games as a pro, probably. If I had to guess, I mean, as he had many games of like twenty four points, but also just like the way that he did it, I thought he was kind of all over the floor. Um, so I just really liked what I saw out of him tonight. And then obviously he hit uh, a couple of, of big shots. Um, late in the game too, but you know, a lot of Drew, a lot of Darius Miller. And uh, you know, are are we are we really that hot takey if we say that uh DeMarcus Cousins shouldn't have been in the game? I mean, I, it was pretty obvious to anybody, I think. I mean, it, it's not a hot take. Shooters shoot and Hawks had their small ball shooters out there. And when shooters shoot, that means DeMarcus isn't chasing them. So you pull him out, you sacrificed his presence for uh, more athletic, more more of a guard setting where they can uh, chase around those shooters and, and play a little more defense. I mean, the Hawks were shooting around uh, 47% from three, uh, 46% from the field. So, I mean, they, they, they didn't shoot bad. Um, so that's just something you had to do, and it was a smart, gutsy decision by uh, Alvin Gentry that caught some criticism I saw during the game, but I thought it was the right decision. The Pelicans shot like 54% tonight, 54.7% tonight. Uh, another game in which they've um, shot really well and then also had a bunch of turnovers. What was our final turnover number? 19. It was only, I mean, um, I say it was only 19. Well, the Hawks had 18, but it, it's a uh, number that we can, we definitely need to bring down. The Pelicans definitely need to bring it down. But when you when you can force them on the other end and, and make sure that the other team has just as many as you do, it kind of makes it a little less worse, I guess, on a positive yeah. note. Yeah. Um, one play late in the game, I want to get your take on this. In that, I guess, I guess it's not commonly seen where they do this, but the the refs went to the monitors in order to look at whether or not Anthony Davis took a block or a charge. I didn't really realize that they could go to video on that. How was it within two minutes? Yes. Then yes. They, I, I, calls like that, that are, that are critical to the game. And I think decide essentially possession under two minutes, the refs can go to the replay. That's my understanding at least. Well, that was, it's probably great for them to have done that because it was a huge call. At first they called a charge. They then uh, changed the call to a block. So it meant that uh, Bazemore was going up for free throws. And um, 
that was when I think he got them to within one. But uh, but yeah, just like a crazy call. Uh, what did you think about our boy um, that you and I argue over on Twitter? Uh, Rajon Rondo made his first appearance of the year, played, I believe, four minutes and 56 seconds. He had a layup on his very first possession and had two assists. First of all, don't say our boy. That's my boy. You uh, you boy. comment you comment on Jameer when you want to. Um, I thought <laughs> I thought Rondo played about the best first two minutes when he came in the game that I've ever seen someone his age play in two minutes. Uh, first basket as a Pelican, he got in the game eight seconds later. He had his first points as a Pelican. Uh, not but maybe thirty seconds later, he had his first assist uh, to boogie on a three, and then he got another one. A little later, he won for one and had an assist, had a steal, I believe. I thought he had a steal on uh, two I points, four minutes. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess just... He at uh, least had a deflection. I know that. Yeah. I'm, I'm biased towards him just because of yeah. how much I've, I've liked him for, for how long I've been able to watch him play. I thought that if his restriction was uh, six minutes and he only played four minutes and 56 seconds, that we maybe could have used him down the stretch. Uh, that was just my opinion. Uh, I'm not sure. Was was Jameer in late? Wasn't Jameer in the lineup late? Or am I wrong? Yes. yes. I, I I thought you could have used Rondo just for some of that veteran mindset uh, down the stretch when it seems so critical. That's that's not a criticism for me, just a, a personal thought process. But for what we saw of him, which is a a very, very small sample size. I'm pleased. And my big picture prediction still stands that the first game that Rondo plays 25 plus minutes, he will notch a double double. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good prediction. Um, just, just to keep that on the record. Yeah. And of course. And I think that uh, what you're getting at in terms of whether or not they're going to go with Jameer or him late in games is it's going to be different every game. I think sometimes like uh, tonight would have been a night when, when Rondo has his legs under him and everything, he would have finished the game tonight. I'm sure. Uh, just because Jameer didn't really give me a whole lot. I thought he made some sloppy plays that I typically, I wouldn't normally expect from him. Um, I just didn't know if he was, he just wasn't all the way there and you could have used somebody like a Rondo. So I, I still think, um, that you're going to get a lot of, of minutes out of Jameer, but uh, tonight was a night when he wasn't all that effective. One thing I wanted to touch on, and I didn't want to get too deep in without without commenting on, I believe this is the second game in a row Tony Allen hasn't played with a little uh, knee inflammation, and that's somewhere where I believe in the Toronto game he played a decent chunk of minutes, and Ian Clark, ended up with the DNP. Well, now that Tony Allen's out, I feel like Ian's getting some of those minutes. He played 20 minutes tonight, and he had three assists but and a steal, but that was about it. He was 0 for 4 from the field, shoot 0% from the field. So that that's kind of a, a performance that I understand some of these guys underperform. We can't have these guys playing 20 minutes and just not performing at all. So that was an area that that hurt a little bit, and hoping that not a knock to Ian Clark, just hoping that Tony Allen gets gets well quick, and that's a presence that New Orleans can definitely use on a nightly basis. I thought Ian uh, 
I mean, the shots that he took were, I believe, all wide open. So there's a lot of nights when he's going to make three of those or all four of them. Um, he just hasn't gotten loose that one game because I keep sort of expecting maybe like a 15-point um, burst from him. And that just hasn't happened. But generally, I thought he was okay. But you're just not going to play a whole lot if you literally miss every shot you take. Yeah, it can't happen. Uh, it's just yeah, the guys. Like I said, under seeing underperformance is okay, but when you go out there and play twenty minutes and just can't perform at all, then it becomes an issue. Uh, Anthony Davis had just thirteen points and ten rebounds, while well, seven assists and two steals and four blocks. Okay, well, still pretty good. Um, he took what was a pretty rough spill. Um, it was. It didn't really look very good to watch so you you sort of thought when he fell under the hoop there um that maybe something was going on with his groin or a knee or an ankle or something um be real every time he falls everyone that's surrounding new orleans thinks a little bit just because of the negativity surrounding injuries that he's hurt every time he falls he's just waiting on him to get up it doesn't matter if he's just barely falls at all for two seconds, you're worried that he's hurt. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was again, a very real worry. He looked generally stiff the rest of the night. Um, they kind of had a hard time getting him the ball early in this game anyway. So um, it didn't exactly shut down what was, you know, it was probably going to be maybe one of his more rough nights. Although who, you know, when he's healthy, he he just goes on incredible runs. So maybe he wouldn't have. But um, it was, uh, I guess, okay that he finished the game. Um, so that's always nice. Well, he was Dante Cunningham. What do you think of him? I was just going back to AD and that fall. He was, he did struggle in the last game. I don't, I don't remember what exactly happened uh, against the Clippers, where he was dealing with some shoulder pain. And ended up going to the locker room and coming back. And after the game, a reporter asked him about, uh, you know, what happened to your shoulder? Why'd you go to the locker room? Is everything okay? And he told the reporter, um, I don't remember that. And DeMarcus just started laughing. I don't know if he was just trying to, AD was just trying to play it off or whatever. So he, he, yeah. I don't know. That gave me a sense of, of him being a little tough and uh, humorous. If, if you followed my Twitter uh, that night, you could see that he was in a, a humorable mood. Um, as far as Dante goes, 18 minutes, five points, two rebounds. He's just, he's been consistently underperforming all season. And it's something where I kind of align myself with what Anthony Davis said a few weeks ago that you just have to keep getting guys like that the ball. If they're struggling, Dante's a guy that you, you can't lose in this rotation, whether you put him on the bench, whether you start him. He's going to have to play a significant amount of minutes just because of his he's been one of the most consistent players as far as durability that the pelicans have had over the last three years and i say that all the time and he's just somebody that you're gonna have to help find a way the same way drew is they they have struggled since demarcus cousins came they're continuing to struggle and you just have to keep getting them the ball have to keep finding different ways to incorporate them whether it be set plays whether it be getting them going in the free flow and maybe Rondo can help with both of them 
concerning that. It's just something you're you're going to have to keep giving it to them, and you're going to have to keep working with them because you can't afford to lose them. There's no wiggle room with this roster at all. Can't really afford to have anyone lost in the lineup. Uh, you know, like if man, if Diallo could give us solid twenty minutes like he did against the Clippers, you know, tonight he only played two. It's just, uh, and, and you understand with him that he's young and he's he's going to be inconsistent. But we're still we're still not there. It's uh, I believe this 14th game. Still, I typically put uh, 20 to 25 games as a learning curve. The for, the first uh, fourth or so of the season. So so it's still a work in progress, and I, I still have hope for those guys. I'm just hoping that as far as I know that Dante has more in him than what we're seeing. I'm just hoping that we're not settling into the to the Drew we're supposed to expect from here on out. Um, Darius Miller is probably the guy who would be most likely to take Cunningham minutes, assuming those go away, um, as this team maybe starts expanding the number of shooters it has on the floor at all times, because that's going to certainly get the offense going. Um, what did you think about his game? I mean, it seems like he's just super, super confident now instead of, you know, basically, being in some of your first NBA games you ever played were with the Pelicans. Um, and then now here he is back a couple of years after being in Europe. Um, he looks like maybe he's ready. If I'm not mistaken, that 21 points he scored tonight is a career high. Um, I'm I believe sure it so. is. I think his previous was somewhere around 18. Okay. But I don't know if you want to stick him in the starting lineup just for, you know, he's he's only played well for maybe, I don't know, six, seven games. Do you reward a guy that quick over Dante, or do you trust him enough to give that performance as a starter? I just don't know. I think it's a little it's a little too early for me to, to say that, I, you know, at, at the same time, I'm sitting here thinking about it, and I think that it's it's worth a try. But I just think it's too early to reward him with the with the starting spot uh, for coming over from Europe and having a stretch of seven good games. I don't think we're too far away from it, but that's just my opinion. What do you think about that, Travis? Yeah, no, totally. I, I think that I think that it's going to be the long term play, as in like long term meaning like till the end of the year. But um, in terms of it happening right now, I, I don't think it's going to happen right now. But the the good thing is, I think that Cunningham uh, might be able to find his space better um, with the second team. Maybe I agree. Um, maybe he knows where to go because he'd be out there with Drew and and AD, which seems like often that's kind of the the second team combo. Um, or you know, maybe he can deal with Cousins. I, I don't know. Uh, but we got It would be nice if he were to be a really reliable bench guy who can come in and defend and make some threes. Well, with, um, with, if you if you bring Rondo back, and you assume that Tony Allen is healthy, you might have a second unit that looks something like. And of course, when I say second unit, you're still interchanging AD and and Demarcus. You might yeah. look at Jameer, Etwan, Tony, Dante, and Boogie or AD, yeah. and, and that's a solid second team in my opinion. And I feel like Dante can, can find his way uh, eventually if Darius Miller can work his way into the starting lineup. I feel like Dante might be able to find his way better if he's playing those third big minutes at the four spot right under 
AD or DeMarcus. And, and we don't know. We'll find out. And uh, that coaching staff knows a lot more about basketball than we do. So hopefully they'll be able to figure it out. Figure it out. I do agree with you. I feel like that's the long-term play. I feel like it should be the long-term play. But I think we're in agreement that it's just it's too early. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking again about Etwan Moore. He, what was that shot he hit? I think it maybe it was in the first half where he was like, it was like a, a backwards falling leaner with one hand that he banked. I think maybe he banked it. Um, I mean, this guy's making all kinds of shots. Um, how good is Etwan Moore? Is he, I was thinking of him uh, before the podcast as like a Danny Green type um, in that he's just always really active and he makes plays on both sides of the floor. What do you think about that comparison? Mm, I, if I'm, he's a, he seems a little bit bigger and, and meatier. He might not be as quick, but I feel like he's stronger. I don't think he's as good of a shooter, but I, I get where you're going with that compar- uh, comparison as far as always moving and, and cutting. He's one of the better cutters on the team probably him and Tony Allen. Uh, hashtag let Etuan cook. That's where I'm going. But uh, oh, man. have you seen his kicks, man? His kicks are nice. That Q4 Sports, him and uh, him and old Pelican Langston Galloway have a deal with, with Q4 Sports. I, I like his kicks. You need to go check those out if you haven't seen them. I haven't checked that out. I'm a little bit of a, of like a sneaker head or whatever. Apparently not I mean, enough to know what Etuan Moore is wearing, but I'll give that. It's obviously like a, like a, I'm not going to say, I don't want to say weird. I don't want to down their brand. They look cool. It's just not like a mainstream brand. Like I said, him and Langston Galloway, as far as I know, are two NBA players that are on it. I saw him the other day and, uh, when he came out for shoot around. They look pretty nice. You can, uh, I'll give them a little plug. Q4 Sports, you search them on Twitter and their current, most re- excuse me, most recent tweet is a picture of Etwan. You can zoom in on the sneakers. They're sweet. Nice. I give a I give a thumbs up. I'll also check that out. Um, shoe related. Uh, I wrote this in my notes. Well, it sounds like a <laughs> that's shoe. the best segue. Yeah, it man. Sounds like <laughs> sounds like what a bad, bad shoe would be, which is slippery, because I was describing what I thought Dennis Schroeder, uh, sort of how he moves around the floor. Okay, that was. Uh, what do you think I, of Schroeder? He's he's by far their best player. Check that. That was a weak segue. I thought you were oh, going somewhere and you didn't go somewhere. No, because you had me thinking shoe related, and I got excited because I'm a sneakerhead. But then when you said slippery, you made me think of like the black <laughs> shoes that people wear in fast food or something, and then it just it just ruined the moment. Schroeder, man, I've always been a fan of him. I think it's a it's a little early for him. The Atlanta Hawks have sen- essentially given him the keys ease excuse me and uh put him in the driver's seat uh he's not i think his contract's like three or four years 70 million it's not an awful contract but it's not a great one they're 100 percent in rebuild mode it wasn't too long ago they had a 60 win team and everyone on that roster is gone now so john collins looks good i don't know if he played tonight i didn't i didn't really keep up from a from a hawks perspective but uh he did. He had I, that. Uh, he had a massive uh, dunk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's his thing, man. And and, and he's always he he's always been good at that. He's really athletic. He's got some nice build to him. And I think he'll be a good. I think he was a good pick for. I think nineteenth overall. I definitely like that uh, selection. But Schroeder, 
he's kind of one of those other guys that's active. I think he's smart. Like I said, he's still young. He he stays on the move. Uh, he's going to kill himself over that turnover. I mean, that that late game turnover. I'm not going to say that they would have made a shot. But they're down one with you know some seconds left on the clock, and and he throws the ball out of bounds. Yeah. Uh, that's something that he's dead. I don't know. He's a competitor, man. He's going to go home and he's going to kick himself over that. And he's going to come back and go to work. And they're not, I see them as a team that, you know, don't be surprised if they find a way to catch fire when some of those injuries come back and they just win some games and they're not as bad as you thought they were going to be. I'm not saying they're a playoff team at all, but I'm just saying that they, they play hard and, and they play smart. And that's obviously a byproduct of having, Mike Budenholzer as your coach, a great head coach. I think anyone in the league would be thankful to have him. And uh, he's going to do great things. He's he's in a tough place right now, but I think Schroeder is a, is a decent building block. He's not the greatest. And, and some of these markets down here aren't the most attractive free agent markets, but maybe he'll be able to build through the draft uh, like he's done, started to do, should I say, with John Collins. And uh, he'll go from there. Totally agree with you on Budenholzer. Just have always kind of liked that uh, Atlanta team from a couple of years ago that had like four all stars on it. Um, all the guys from that team now now gone. Uh, sort of a sad couple of years for them. But yeah, Schroeder. Uh, I mean, I just really like him as an isolation like ball hand guy who's going to try to get a layup on you. Um, he takes tough contested leaning you know going 100 miles an hour layups um and little floaters and things around the hoop uh he's pretty nice he can also shoot a little bit um and he has as everyone has he has begun to shoot more threes um so he's just nice but yeah i mean okay so to go to that specific play you're talking about like so i actually i had in my notes there that baysmore lost it first to schroeder who now is like fumbling around just trying to keep possession of the ball and then he threw it away so i mean i i, I kind of blame bays more a little bit more for that specific play but uh just a little bit sloppy and not enough for the hawks yeah, to pull it out yeah blame whoever i i don't blame just do that <laughs> it was definitely not a good play he threw it straight out of bounds i don't, I don't know where he was trying to go with it but um what did you think? Okay, so some more late game uh, interesting stuff that happened, I guess, or almost a, almost a complete uh, disintegration of the Pelicans with 3.1 seconds left in the game. <laughs> they All they had to do was inbound it uh, twice, and they inbounded it the first time, got it to Drew. He got fouled, but they weren't uh, in the bonus yet, so they had to, so they had to do the same inbound play again. And this time, Cousins threw it away on a pass to Anthony Davis for for a potential alley oop. Davis caught it and came down with it and threw it out, threw it to one of the Hawks, uh, I think Torian Prince maybe. And they called timeout. And Atlanta had yet another chance to win the game um, because of some non-clutch uh, ability to get the ball inbounds. Trevor, what's going on? How many words do I get to describe this, Travis? You get uh, four words. Boogie is really tripping. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I mean, man, throw the ball up in the air. Just throw it up in the air. Throw it to somebody. Run the clock out. I don't know. 
do something. Get it on the floor. I don't know. We were up one, and he throws it to the basket, right? Yeah. What are you doing? I, I mean, like, what? What are Boogie yeah, is really tripping. Um, <laughs> he is. But he uh, is. not a good uh, pass selection. I don't know. I mean, I mean, stuff like that happens. Eighty-two game season. If you follow any team closely, you're going to have moments like that, man. It's going to be something that. Alvin's probably going to talk to him about maybe not for very long. Cause I, I don't feel like he's the type of player that needs that. I think he can retain information and be like, that's, that's not what you do in that situation. Boogie, bad boogie. But, uh, I'll take it, man. I, I'm not, I'm not too critical of that from, from the Pelicans perspective. Uh, like I said, boogie's really tripping and, and hopefully he won't do that again. So, uh, you know, it, it's a sloppy win. I think everybody in new Orleans will take it though. Uh, you just brought up uh, a great term because you said bad boogie because there is bad boogie and there is great boogie. Um, tonight was another one of these nights when, uh, I mean, we've kind of already talked about it a lot, but hey, one of these and then there's boogie he, on reggae he's woman. Like the re- <laughs> I don't know what that is. Stevie Wonder Man, you uncultured I'm, swan. I'm un- unfamiliar with Stevie Wonder or with the song. The song, I guess. Okay, Wonder I guess Woman? you you can compare Boogie's ball security as if he was Stevie Wonder, but that's another podcast. He had twenty two and sixteen, like we mentioned, and seven assists. But and he seven was turnovers. like when seven and seven turnovers. When he was really good, he was like the reason that we were winning. And then when he was really bad, he'd be the reason that everything fell apart on offense and he he completely Um, understands that travis he admits that he admitted that in the locker room the other day he straight up told all of us i'm the main culprit of the turnovers and it was kind of a funny exchange because demarcus goes i know that i'm the main culprit of the turnovers and drew turns around and goes no that's me and demarcus goes nope i had eight you had seven tonight and i'm referring to the clippers game and drew goes oh you beat me out tonight and AD was like, yeah. And then Drew goes, and Jameer was right behind me. And so they were just, they they know what the problem is, and they know where they're screwing up, and they are just kind of lighthearted about it. And don't take that as they don't need the, they don't know that they need to work on it. They just try to make the best of it, and they're going to take these wins as they can get them and, and work on it from there. And I feel like uh, from what I heard from what Drew said is – I think they're all confident, really, not just Drew, that, that Rondo is going to fix that problem. I think the media thinks that. I think that the team thinks that. And uh, hopefully more and more minutes Rondo has. I know I have to full circle, spin cycle back to my boy. But uh, <laughs> that, that, that'll that get better. You'll do anything to get Rondo more minutes. I know, I know you will. Um, but I guess here's the bigger question I want to get to you with in terms Last- of boogie. Last big picture question, Travis. Yeah. Last big picture question is what is the best this team can do if in the minutes when DeMarcus is really bad, he is really, really bad um, in the playoffs? Because that that kind of play always makes me think that this is a team that could go out quickly. It it depends on who you're playing. If you're playing a team where you can afford to go small for a little while and put them on the bench and and let them compose themselves, then you yeah. pull them out. If you can't afford to do that, then you stop running him 
and, and ball dominant sets and you get him down in the post and, and make him go to work and make him earn the ball instead of giving it to him and letting him set up plays. And that's your only two options. If you can't afford to take him off the court, you have to stop putting the ball in his hands so much and allowing him to make those turnovers. Other than that, you don't have any options because he's too critical to the offense. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, again, like you mentioned, and like I guess this team keeps talking about, sounds like from from what you saw in the uh, locker room there, um, they know they're going to turn the ball over, but hopefully they also feel confident that they're going to shoot well every night. Uh, the two big guys are very effective at getting to the free throw line too. Um, we've seen very high shooting marks from a number of the guys that you mentioned earlier, including Etwan Moore. Um, and this team isn't really fully formed yet because of that Rondo injury and because of even further down the line, uh, if Solo ever comes back, um, you know, this team could look quite a bit different in April. That's true. And you know what else isn't fully formed yet, Travis? What? This podcast, we've got to run. Is Preston's coming up next with a re not a recap, excuse me, a preview of our next home game. I believe that's against the Toronto Raptors. So stay tuned for part two. All right, Pels fans, welcome back to our two-parter. This is part two, and we've got back with us Chris McKee of SB Nation, who is rejoining us to talk yet another Pelicans-Raptors matchup. You ready to do this again, Chris? I am. Appreciate you having me back, Preston. Of course, man. We had so much fun last time. Uh, 22 lead changes, including seven in the final quarter. Before we do that, uh, let's remember to follow Chris at Mr. McKee. That's your handle, right? That's right, yeah. All right, let's do this. The Pels lost in Toronto last week. It was a really exciting game. The highlight was probably uh, DeMar DeRozan's 33 points and his late-game scramble that saw him diving on the floor and found Kyle Lowry open for a three, kind of put the game away. Uh, the Raps did a great job of minimizing A.B. and Boogie, holding them to 38-22 and 22 on 14 of 38 shooting. That's something we talked about a lot last week. Serge Ibaka was ultra-efficient with 19 on 8 of 14 shooting. And the surprising hero for the Pelicans was actually Drew Holiday, who had a season-high 34-11. and 11. I don't know what was going on this game. Chris, talk about the Raptors' play last week. What went right? What went wrong? And if you expect this week's matchup to go any differently? Well, one thing that surprised me watching last week's game, is they came out with a lot of energy, you know, more so than a, a lot of their recent games. You know, they've been a little sluggish like you and I are both today. Um, but <laughs> they came out firing out of the gates and looked really active. I was surprised watching it, um, just how active they looked. And then the one big surprise, you know, we talked about this in the preview is, you know, I thought Boogie and Davis would be able to dominate the Raptors big man. But, you know, you mentioned it. Serge Ibaka was huge. And then Jonas Valanciunas uh, came up huge. 13 rebounds, including 12 on the defensive end, which just showed, you know, he, he surprisingly, he was able to, to dominate Boogie and Davis on the boards. Yeah, let's talk a bit more about that, uh, because the Raptors had a good bevy of bodies to throw at the Pelicans and Siaka, Mabaka, Valanchunas, Pirtle, and Najira. It looked like um, Boogie took took good care of Jakob Pirtle, but the rest of these guys really did a good job of frustrating him. I remember uh, there was a, a technical foul. DeMarcus Cousins had a, a tendency to do this. 
He got so frustrated. He kept cursing out the referee. The referee refused to tech him up. He went to the bench, sat down, continued chirping until a final, finally the referee relented and, uh, and gave him the technical that he so desperately it seems like he wanted. What about your big men? Uh, what, what do you think went into really frustrating Boogie and, and keeping even Anthony Davis uh, efficiency down uh, shooting? I think the the two of them combined for something like 38 shots and 38 points. How did these big men do it? Well, they're young, they're active, you know, it's, it's strength in numbers. You know, we spoke about this last week where Dwayne Casey is giving these young guys plenty of minutes early in the season, trying to find out what he has, you know, Siakam, this is a guy at New Mexico state, whack player of the year you know, didn't play a lot of high school ball, even didn't start playing until a lot later. And so this guy is improving exponentially year by year. His ceiling, you know, who knows where it is right now. So he keeps getting better every week. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of his. I, I thought he did a wonderful job. And then Pirtle as well. He's being pushed by Siakam uh, for minutes. Lucas Nagara, the Brazilian, coming in off the bench. He's looked really good this year. I think that competition amongst the Raptors lineups uh, themselves for minutes is really benefit the team long term, you know, on the floor. These guys are getting out there. They know they have to make the most of everything. And, you know, the strength in numbers, those, those young big men, uh, they showed up against New Orleans. All right, you guys are listening to The Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network. We are speaking with Chris McKee of SB Nation. Let's talk a bit about our backcourt, which I didn't think we were going to have to do. But after uh, last week's matchup, Drew Holiday came out and had 34 points as our starting point guard. Now, however, I don't know if you're privy to this information. Rajon Rondo had his first appearance last night, played about five minutes. I'd imagine they're going to put him somewhere around 10 to 15 in this one, just uh, slowly progress him back into the lineup. How does that change your game plan, knowing, one, how successful Drew was, and two, knowing that he might now be moving to the shooting guard, especially considering that uh, I think Norman Powell had some kind of hip injury the other night, and he was matched up against Drew a good bit. How does this change your game plan uh, with the Pelicans' backcourt kind of in flux? I, I don't think it will much. You know, I think the Raptors, you know, if they said before the game, hey, Drew Holiday is going to go up for 34, but you're still going to win the game, they'll be fine with it. You know, so it, it's long as, you know, neutralize DeMarcus Cousins, neutralize Anthony Davis, make, you know, make your guards make the shots. That's sort of the game plan. So I think the Raptors, if it if it plays out exactly like that again, I think it's going to work out in the Raptors' favors. They'll be fine if, if Drew Holiday is the guy that's going to have to beat them because I think the Raptors will take those odds. Now, the Pelicans have another advantage against you guys in this matchup that they didn't last week. Not only is the game at home, but for the third time in a row, the Pelicans are facing a team on their third game in four nights. You guys have a back-to-back. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but you played the Celtics last night. Do you play the Wizards tonight? Houston tonight. Houston, that's right. Uh, James Harden and the Rockets, red hot. They're 11-3. and three. Uh how do your guys, and you guys are 7-5, and five, by the way, how do your guys operate on short rest so far this season, Chris? Well, you know, it's a young team, so I think they're fine. You know, we, we, we spoke about it where Casey's using a lot of players. You know, I know last week when you talked, you were impressed at, at how many guys are, are getting minutes. You know, I think it's something 12 guys averaging double minutes, uh, sorry, double figures in, in minutes. And so um, I think they'll be fine. They're using the rotation, keeping these guys fresh. Uh, the young guys coming off the bench, Fred Van Fleet, has been getting a lot of minutes and impressing. Uh, DeLon Wright, uh, you know, he's come off the bench playing well. So it's a pretty deep team right now. The young guys are making the most of their opportunity. So, I mean, anybody's going to struggle on on whatever three games in, in four nights. But um, I think it's a young team that 
this early in the season, it's not going to really have too much effect. Okay, once again, you guys are listening to uh, Nothing But Net Network. This is The Bird Rights, and we are talking to Chris McKee. Let's talk a bit more about those rotations. You mentioned that you've got 12 guys uh, averaging double digits in minutes. And uh, true to form, you guys played all 12 active players, including one minute from Lucas Najir. I think he picked up um, some quick fouls in there. Um, I don't I don't remember if you mentioned, do you think that Norman Powell is going to be held out against the uh, – uh, held out of this game after injuring his hip against the Celtics on Saturday night? You know, I had a quick scan through the local media here, the sports and that's the TSNs here in Toronto, and I haven't seen any mention of it. So I would anticipate he play. you know, it'll be one of those things where, hey, let's put him out there, see how he goes, and then his minutes will be dictated by that. But I would imagine to see him in the lineup. All right, great. Uh, so we should ex- expect to see your full uh, defensive and offensive force. Let's talk a bit about some of the quotes that Dwayne Casey said. He wasn't pleased with your defensive effort, and I'm sure that must have been in reference to Drew Holiday's performance. You guys threw a lot of players at him. You mentioned Fred Van Fleet. Tell me a, a bit more about these uh, these 12 active players, this Fred Van Fleet. Uh, I forget the names of the big guys. How you expect that rotation to continue playing against the Pelicans? Do you think there should be any changes? Are you guys going to give us exactly the same thing you gave us last week? Well, I think, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, they put up 122 against you guys. But, you know, that 118 is surprising. Um, You know, even in the loss to Boston, Boston only put up 95. So defense is the focus. As far as these young guys, you know, Fred Van Fleet is a four-year player at Wichita State, undrafted. I loved him. I thought he could have been a second-round pick. But, you know, he's only six feet tall. So defensively, he is a bit of a liability. But the guy can shoot from anywhere on the floor. He's a, I mean, he's only a second year guy, but he's one of those like crafty veteran kind of guys. Uh, great basketball IQ, uh, a lot of fun to watch. He's one of those guys you want to root for. Two time uh, Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year while while he was at Wichita, which they've now moved over to the American. And part of it is the success of guys like Van Fleet. The, you know, they're no longer a mid major; they've become a major uh, because of guys like him. Um, you know, Norman Powell, UCLA guy, four year player. It's taken him a time to a little bit of time to slowly develop, but he's now become, you know, if not a starter, he's he's an amazing six man. Him and CJ Miles have sort of been flipping back and forth as to who's starting. I mean, CJ's a new guy that we've just got in. He's one of those guys. He was part of that last group of players that were allowed to come straight from high school into the NBA. Uh, what are we talking? Maybe oh five, I think it was. Um, and you know, this is a 12, 13 year guy in the NBA. He struggled a little bit shooting early, you know, Dwayne Casey had hoped he would take that position by the reins and and run with it and become, you know, the, the, the full three and then have Norman Powell coming off the bench. But CJ struggled a little bit early on, but what Powell hasn't has come in, uh, and taken those minutes. And as far as the, you know, the young guys, Nagara, um, Pirtle, uh, Siakam, um Nogueira's been with the Raptors I think this is his third or fourth year young guy from Brazil I don't know too much about him before his time in the Raptors you know obviously you, the guys coming from South America it's hard to, to sort of track them but Pirtle's a guy that's out of Utah was the Pac-12 player of the year and when you think of the level of com- uh, you know competition in that you know guy, Oregon players UCLA uh all this and and he's the Pac-12 player of the year so he's a little stiff but uh, you know, he's a big guy that can really get up and down the floor. He he runs a lot. And I think 
you know, the rotation that Dwayne Casey uses where he gets out there. It's like run 110% for five minutes, get off. Siakam will come in, uh, Abaka, Nagara, they'll just keep rotating them in and out, you know, full blast. What, what, what is, what was Billy Donovan's uh, method down in Florida? What did they call it? 40 minutes of hell or something like that. I think the Dwayne Casey's trying to do something similar in the NBA. I'll, I'll look it up right now. It kind of reminds me of, um, ah, what was his name? Um, Patino's, uh, uh, it was something like that. Bill Simmons often refers to it, uh, how he has this second unit that just hounds you for 40 minutes. Uh, it sounds kind of like like that. I can't remember what he used to call it, like the lineup of death or something. That sounds more like the Golden State Warriors. Uh, let's talk briefly a bit more about C.J. Miles. You mentioned him and how he's been struggling to shoot. And by the way, you nailed that right on the head. His first year was in 2005 with the Utah Jazz. Yeah, uh, he shot 2 of 10 against the Pelicans. He's been averaging nine points the last three games, but a couple of games before that, he went he went completely scoreless. What has been uh, hindering his, um, I don't know, uh, what's the word, uh, his acclimation into the Toronto Raptors offense right now, and why hasn't he put it all together yet? I think it's just confidence. You know, in preseason, he was unbelievable. I was blown away at how good he was. He was shooting well. He was loose. He was relaxed. I think the stress and the pressure of, you know, knowing there's guys behind them uh, in the rotation. Some guys react to that and others don't. You know, some guys are just more comfortable coming off the bench, which is something he's done a lot in his career. And now that he's the guy, he's struggling. And so, I I mean, I really like him. It's fine. His shooting hasn't really cost the Raptors too much just yet early in the season. So I think Dwayne Casey, he's given him a big leash to – find his game and he'll evolve. Um, I, I have the utmost confidence in CJ. He's working through it and uh, it'll turn around shortly for him. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Chris. Let's wrap this up. Uh, before we get the prediction on the matchup on Wednesday night, uh, let's talk about the Rockets. They're 11 and three. You guys are seven and five uh, with James Harden and with Chris Paul out of the lineup. The Rockets have been, have looked unbeatable. Do you guys think you have any chance in tonight's matchup in Houston? Yeah, uh, it's going to take, I mean, DeMar DeRozan's been shooting the lights out, but Kyle Lowry's got to step up a little bit. And one of these other guys, you know, whether it's Powell, whether it's CJ Miles, you know, whether it's Valanciunas, someone else is going to have to have a big night other than DeMar DeRozan. He can't continue to carry us like this. You know, you can get away with it against some of these teams in the East, but, you know, playing against a team like Houston, there better be more than one or two guys coming to shooting the lights out against those guys. All right. Thank you so much to Chris McKee. Before we let you go, let's get a prediction uh, for Wednesday. It's the second night of a back-to-back. It's the third game in four nights. Do you expect things to go differently this time in the Smoothie King Center? Uh, I, I do. You know, it's I, I like New Orleans' chances coming up to Toronto, but, you know, coming off that back-to-back, it's going to be tough, especially tonight. I think, you know, if there was a game that they're going to put their max effort into, it, it'd be tonight against Houston and then I think you'll get a bit more of a lackadaisical team down in New Orleans and it it may be even one of those games where Dwayne Casey just decides you know to to even you know rest DeRozan rest Lowry don't burn them out and uh, let some of the young guys try and find their way and you'll see a lot more minutes from DeLon Wright and and Fred Van Fleet in the backcourt and yeah I I would go with New Orleans again on the you know the second night of a back-to-back for Toronto. All right. Thank you so much to Chris McKee. You can follow him at Mr. McKee. That's M-C-K-E-E. The Pelicans, of course, play the Raptors at 7 p.m. Central time tomorrow, Tuesday night in the Smoothie Kings. uh, Sorry, Wednesday night in the Smoothie Kings Center. Uh, Before we let you go, Chris, you're working on a book right now explaining your your travels as a Wu-Tang Clan booking agent. Uh, Tell us a bit more about that. 
I am a, besides writing about basketball and, and football and that, um, you know, I worked in music for 20 years before I got involved in sports and I was an agent for, you know, dozens of Grammy winning artists, you know, Rihanna, the black eyed peas, but the one band that people are always interested in is the Wu-Tang Clan. So I worked with various members of the Wu-Tang Clan for the better part of a decade and spent a lot of time on the road with them, you know, booking concerts for them and and, and tour managing and that. And so I'm about 80% done my book right now. It just tells a, a few stories about life on the road with the Wu-Tang Clan and uh, all the little intricacies that that go along with that. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much. Best of luck to you, Chris, on Wednesday night's matchup. Are you going to be tweeting live? No, I won't be tweeting live. I'll be watching for sure. You know, maybe the odd thing, but not not full games. Not till we get to playoff times um, when I go full live tweeting. But I'll always just kind of mention, you know, an observation or two while I'm watching. Uh, but not not a full out tweet. Okay, thanks again. Uh, Pels fans, don't go anywhere because up next we are speaking with Drew Holiday's agent, Jason Glushan of Glushan Sports Management. Uh, it's going to be pretty exciting to have this guy on and talk about uh, Al Horford the year before and now Drew Holiday, $200 million contracts negotiated in back-to-back years. But uh, this is it for now. Remember, you guys, uh, rate and subscribe to the pod. Share, retweet as best you can. Uh, we're coming back at you guys fast. We're going to be doing this all season long. Thank you so much for your downloads, your support, uh, and keep it coming. Let's go, Pels. Thanks for listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Now, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching Bird Rights NBA Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at The Bird Rights for all the best coverage on the Pels. And if you really like the show and you want to show us even more love, give us a rating and review on iTunes by searching The Bird Rights. Your support has gotten us up to 45,000 downloads thus far, a spot on Nothing But Net Radio here on the Dash, and a feature on the front page of Blog Talk Radio. Now, we'll be with you guys all season, keeping you up to date on all the latest news on your favorite team. Let's go, pals! Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day, when he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12th handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day, when he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12th handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson.